Hi, everybody. It's Trish Rubin, and I'm coming to you today from the Empire Hotel on the Upper West Side of New York. And the last podcast, we uh, met Scott Carr, and that was down at the Gowns of War Hotel. I think I'm going for the brand of just whatever happens in New York in a hotel is a great thing to bring to my podcast. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> How's that? Like, just like, just make it a New York buzz. So, um, I invited my friend Amy Gomez to come to uh, the Empire Hotel to talk to us today about uh, advertising and uh, her great uh, take on advertising that moves us into something called cross-cultural marketing. And uh, I want to uh, thank her for coming. And I want you to know that if you're a student, you're going to learn a lot about advertising and marketing just from my colleague. And if you are a uh, a business person. Again, you'll learn from her. And if you are an educator, your mind's going to be opened up to a new way that you can use communication tools out of my model for branded networking with Amy's ideas about cross-cultural. So I want to uh, thank you for joining us and let me introduce Amy to you. You can get her details on the show notes at the end of uh, your listening experience and you can reach out to Amy. So, um, from the Empire Hotel in the beautiful Upper West Side of New York City, meet Amy Gomez. Trish, thank you for having me on your podcast. I'm excited to be here. So I want to start with just this idea of blurring and blending. That's what I'm trying to build my brand around in the podcast. And my listeners who have listened to me know that I'm trying to just focus on the fact that in today's world, we just cannot go from A to B. We can't climb a ladder. We can't just get straight to something. There's just too much noise, too much going on. And we are in a circuitous route of change. And uh, I always ask my guests when they start uh, to think about that and think about their personal and professional lives and how have they experienced innovating and learning through that idea of Embracing the fog and blurring and blending. Mm-hmm. How's it working for you? I, I know that fog well. Well, you know, I usually define myself as a cross-cultural marketing executive, but it's certainly not what I was trained to do. I started out as an academic. I have a PhD from Stanford in comparative medieval literature, specializing in Italian, because I was extremely practical in my 20s. Um It was a wonderful experience, and I studied with extraordinary scholars. I spent a lot of time in Italy, which was wonderful, and I had some amazing teaching experiences. Um, But as I got closer to finishing the dissertation, I realized that the kind of esoteric research and writing that are the mainstay of your career just weren't going to make me happy. I wanted to be dealing with more real-world communications problems. And although I loved the teaching... And apparently I was pretty good at it. I got a few teaching awards. But, you know, in that kind of rarefied academic atmosphere, your teaching doesn't help for anything in terms of your professional advancement. So I decided it was time to put on my sunglasses, venture out of dark ages. (laughs) But then I had to figure out what I was going to do because I knew people went to offices around 9 o'clock and they left around (laughs) 6 o'clock, but I had no idea what they did in the middle or what they called those jobs. So it required a lot of education, a lot of networking, a lot of just meeting and talking to people. And, you know, 
in any kind of a career transition, we're all so dependent on the kindness and generosity and the, why don't you look at this? Why don't you look at that? Which is why today, whenever anybody asks me for an informational chat, I'm always willing to do it. So I realized that this, there was a discipline called marketing and at a networking event, I met a woman who worked at a cross-cultural advertising agency. And I thought, wait a minute, it's business, but they've got a Spanish department and an Italian department, just like the institutions where I had come up. And I thought, well, I need to be working there. And so I harassed her relentlessly until she finally hired me. And that was, that was the beginning. I've been an agency baby ever since. I moved <laughs> from the Bay Area to New York. And I've worked in a lot of different agency environments. Um, but the thread for me was always looking at multicultural consumers in the U.S. and different populations globally and figuring out what are the triggers, what are the cultural cues, what are the insights you need to market to them effectively. And I was very happy with my career. Um, and then there was a cataclysmic event in New York. 9-11 uh, happened. Mm -hmm. um, I was walking to work right after the first plane hit. Uh, and I walked by a cafe and saw everybody looking downtown. And I think like a lot of New Yorkers, the whole advertising game didn't seem quite as meaningful mm. as it had. So I thought, okay, well, let me try going back to teaching. But rather than university, let me do it in an environment where it's going to make more of a difference. So I joined the New York City Teaching Fellows Program. And I became a bilingual third grade teacher in the South Bronx. Lucky kids. <laughs> it was... Um, God bless teachers. God bless teachers yeah. and what they do every day. Um, my favorite part of the job was advocating for my students' parents because the vast majority of them were Latinx immigrants to the States who had come here to make a better life for their kids. So they cared passionately about their children having a great education and having a better path than them. Um, navigating school bureaucracies is hard, especially in such a hierarchical system in New York. Um, and I found that, you know, what was frustrating to me is, and this was right after the No Child Left Behind law went through, I had no autonomy in my classroom. So every 10 minute increment was dictated yes. to me. Um, my kids were wonderful, and I think not always completely understood by school administration. So it was that triangulation between my bicultural kids, their immigrant parents, and the school bureaucracy. I was essentially using all of my cross-cultural marketing skills that I had developed in the advertising world to be essentially the UN translator between all of these groups. Um, so ultimately, I decided that it wasn't the right path for me and I came back to the marketing and advertising world. It left me with um, 
a perspective and I think a, a perspective on education and the, the, the tools and the skill sets that are needed in education today um, that I think potentially could be interesting to other educators and administrators. Yeah, that's one of the reasons why uh, I, I've asked you, you know, Amanda. First of all, I, I was impressed with Amy's knowledge as a, a marketer when I met her. I invited her into my class, and I've, uh, she's lectured to my students at Brute College many times, and her skill in, um, in not just delivering information, but creating the, the value of that information and getting people to understand um, how important uh, this kind of thinking is to people and their communities. So I was impressed with her ability to teach. And uh, so for me, it was just, uh, I felt uh, another rare bird as my friend Ted, mm-hmm. Ted Michimoto talks uh, in this way. So um, I'm glad to hear about that experience. And I did write um, a column uh, in district administration about Amy's experience. And uh, I hope that you'll look at that as well. And I'll include that in the, in the liner notes too, because you'll get to hear more about her in that piece. So now that we know a little bit more about you personally and professionally, let's have you be the teacher and let's, let's have you teach us about multicultural advertising versus cross-cultural advertising. It's good information. Absolutely. Um, So it's a distinction that um, I think is an important one as, as we've discussed before. And I, I'm, I'm very careful to use the term cross-cultural advertising because I think multicultural advertising comes with a lot of baggage. As a, as a term, it stems from the early to mid-60s when the idea that you could market to people um, based on cultural factors was still a very new idea. But the way it usually worked was the, you know, the general market campaign was basically a campaign targeted at white people. And then when there started to be knowledge that there were black people, that there were Hispanic people, that maybe they um, needed a more tailored kind of messaging. So marketers would adapt or translate the messaging usually really badly. So what you had was, siloed messaging and messaging that really wasn't um, of a very high quality or very relevant for multicultural consumers. And, okay, not very effective, but it, it probably was an adequate solution when you're looking at, you know, a black population of maybe four or five percent, a Latinx population of maybe three percent, but that's not the world we're living right. in today. Yeah, I mean, if you the, in the last 20 years, 92% of the population growth in the United States comes from multicultural consumers. And even that number is only looking at Black, Latinx, and Asian. It's not looking at other communities of color, Arab Americans, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, and that's a trend that is you know, going to continue. And yeah. there's been a lot of focus on you know, that day in 2044 when we become a majority multicultural society. But what a lot of people don't realize is in many ways, we're already there. Mm. If you look at the nine-year-old and under population, Mm -hmm. we're already 
majority multicultural, which is why these issues are so important for teachers and administrators to be thinking about these issues. So what distinguishes a cross-cultural approach is, um, first of all, you're looking at what are the insights, what are the drivers, what are the passion points for all of your target market. So if you, for example, if you're in a place like New York, which is such a diverse city, um, you know, we've got Latinx people, Asian people, um, black people of, of all descents, African-American, Caribbean, African, et cetera, et cetera. So taking a look at what the insights are and baking them in up front. So using those insights to create a messaging platform that um, will be motivating for all consumers and particularly resonant mm -hmm. for consumers of color. And then, so that's, you know, what we would call uh, a total market campaign done right. But when you have the opportunity to do something more targeted, to go into targeted black media or do some Spanish language work, you are building off a messaging platform that is already relevant because you've thought of the, the it's, it's insight driven work. Yeah. So I, I think the big takeaway here is good cross-cultural work isn't about execution, it's all about the strategy. You can't start mm. thinking about this once you're, you know, put, putting a big bow on your creative right. campaign and then think, oh, well, you know, just maybe I should translate it or maybe I should hire right. actors yes. of color. It's all about the insights, and that's what's going to drive off. It reminds, I don't know, maybe I'm making, I don't know if this connection is right, but I, remember, I just remember that phrase for women when they, like the shrink it and pink it uh, idea that you're just going to take something that you've got and just, you know, pink wash it, pink wash it. Right. <laughs> so yeah. And that thinking is definitely passe. So, um, I think what we're hearing now is, and especially the, the data that you give us is so important. And that's why I so respect you as a teacher. Mm -hmm. You're, and when you do your presentations, it's really full of data and people, uh, when I, I bring you into my classes full of French students, this is such a different idea for them and it really opens their eyes to the world here, but also the world is changing in France as well. So mm -hmm. they have their uh, uh, work cut out for them if they want to go in that direction. Uh, so that that piece of you know teaching us as a, a, a marketer, an advertiser, let's, let's uh, shift the gear a little bit because I know I've, Going to recommend the podcast to educational leaders, mm -hmm. and in our, our work, when, when I interviewed you for the article, uh, that's really what I wanted to bring forward: are new ideas, communication tools, cultural tools that our educational leaders need, so that there isn't that that butting up against that you experienced when you were teaching third grade mm -hmm. with administrators who now can be more informed. So, if you think about why this approach can be of valuable for an educational leader to be knowledgeable about and actionable, actionable about. Um, how does it look to you? So I think it's, um, you know, I think essentially it's almost an extension of your thoughts on brand ed. Um, and I know that 
teachers and administrators do try to deeply understand their students, the students' parents, the school community. Um, I think my lens is a, essentially a different framework to think of it and one that will um, potentially bring up other areas of consideration. So um, I, I think it's really about looking at the cultural matrix of your school community um, and making an effort to understand the cultural background, the cultural drivers of your students, their parents, and the cultures that, you know, are, are, are critical for your particular school area and um, use it to inform your school communications. So for example, um, why well, no good example? Parenting styles. Every parent loves their children and every parent wants what's best for their children. Different cultures have different parenting styles. So for example, uh, non-Hispanic white parents are very comfortable with an egalitarian relationship with their child where you present facts, you give the child a lot of autonomy. Um, it's really, you know, it can, it's often a relationship of equals. And so the parent will persuade or convince or parents of color doesn't so much work like that. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of times parents of color will look at the way non-Hispanic white parents parent and, and say, you know, why is, why is, why is the tail wagging the dog? Mm. So for example, Latinx parents, um, treat their kids with a lot more intimacy, like that sense of privacy that non-Hispanic white kids have mm -hmm. isn't there, um, but also a lot more strictness. Mm -hmm. And for black parents, and this is something that, um, you know, has, is, come to the fore a lot recently, black parents teach their children to be obedient so that they can protect them yes. out in the world yeah. when they need to do the that. Talk. It was exactly. PNG, yeah. brilliant you, work by yeah, PNG. You brought that forward, um, the PNG campaign about the talk. Mm. So, you know, for school administrator, creating communications that is giving parents guidance about things like homework and how you best help your think about is the message you're putting out there can it flex for all mm. parenting styles does it adapt for all parenting styles because if it doesn't it's not going to be relevant and the parents aren't going to pay attention to it so that would be an example of cross-cultural marketing in an educational context. Mm, I love that uh, example from the talk, and I had forgotten about that. I actually used that when I was teaching in France myself, and I was glad that Amy had shown that to me. Uh, so my understanding from that is it, there is a, a, a foot, um, an intention in the business sector to do this. And so I, I appreciate your uh, connection to Branded. It's the same thing that I'm feeling, and I'm hoping that Amy and I are going to do some further writing and, 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 and discussing about this because I think that this is really going to be a topic that will be embraced by schools, um, especially 
big districts, urban districts, where there's, there's so much um, diversity and, uh, and people feel, I think, overwhelmed with that mm-hmm. and to give them some tools for helping them to feel and helping them, if they're superintendents, to then let that be um, forwarded through their principles, through, you know, knowledge of that they have, and then in, including the people that are in the ranks, too, because you've got diversity. Hopefully, we're trying to build more diversity into the ranks so that the kids that are in their seats are going to actually see people who are like them. Absolutely. So, it's so important. So that may be another way to, to move that cross-cultural conversation into the hiring piece as well, so that you have people, if you're a leader and you have that decision-making uh, potential, that's another reason to hire that person into that job, because they'll understand that, that, um, uh, what do, the, they'll uh, understand the cultural dynamic. And yeah. You, you, in your article, I'm trying to remember what you called it. You mentioned that particular, um, McDonald's commercial and it was the style of parenting. And I can't remember. Oh, so that was a, that was sort of a larger cultural dynamic. Yeah, that's true of that. both Latinx people. Um, it's true of the Asian community and it is, um, you know, Basically being a collectivist culture as opposed to an individualistic culture. I think those, but, you know, educators, we need to get this, you know, in our our minds. You know, we want to know what this is about. And that really struck, although I couldn't remember the name, I made an impression on me. That idea of the collectivist culture where you're considering, you know, uh, I don't want to give away too much from the article. You know, one celebration is not just for you, it's for everybody. But even when you posted in social media the... Uh, quinceanera of uh, the 15 year old mm-hmm. celebration of being 15 it, it is still taken on as a big family event and everybody's celebrating it's not just you know for for her it's the whole family too yeah and so, i think so to to put how that dynamic um to frame how that dynamic can play out in an educational context um you know one thing we know is that young Black and Latinx women are getting college degrees um, at much higher rates than than their male counterparts. Mm. Um, And, you know, for a lot of those young women, especially the Latinx young women, non-Hispanic white people will think, well, I'm getting this college degree and I'm getting it for me so that I can get ahead in my career. And for Latinx people, when you get that college degree, you're thinking of yourself at the center of a matrix that includes your immediate family, your extended family, and what this educational attainment is going to mean for that whole network. It's just a very, it's a different way of looking at the world. Yeah, it is. And it makes me think about Baruch College, where I I teach as this um, engine of mobility. And I think many of those people who are getting those degrees in that way are feeling like that they're not only they're in the driver's seat now for the family, like they're all going to move together. And Absolutely. I think that that's great. Yeah. I am I, so happy that we cross paths and we, we cross paths at an event on the total market. Mm-hmm. Not too far from here. We went to an event and years ago, but um, I really and we latched onto each other immediately. Immediately. <laughs> Immediately, some friendships are we like that. We have that. We have that about ourselves, and now we're going to take it to another level. And really, I think we're going to uh, contribute and discuss and make some 
inroads into sharing these ideas with uh, people in, in the education community. And I, I sense that they're hungry for these these issues. And I want to thank you for being with me and for spending time uh, again in the, the buzz of New York City mm-hmm. <laughs> and my second podcast in a hotel lobby. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I want to uh, suggest to people that uh, they look in again, I'll put in the show notes, the, the article about Amy will be coming out in June and um, to uh, really just further that idea of blurring and blending as she brings this to us. I want, my listeners to think about that for themselves and how are, are they feeling uh, that they can do these uh, things, not just pivot, which you had, to, which you did in so many ways, but, you know, pivot yourself and then amplify and grow from it. Not to just make a good move, but, you know, to make a move that'll lead to another surprising move. So I'm a big advocate of that. And uh, I want my listeners to, uh, Enjoy the the uh, the podcast and uh, get in touch with the people that I talk to. I'll LinkedIn, Amy's there. Uh, Twitter, are you on Twitter as well? I know I'm a Inst- troll on Twitter. Yeah. So um, Instagram, the best? Instagram, right? Which I love too. So uh, thank you so much again, Amy, and I'm looking forward thank to. Thank you, Trish. This was fun. I'm looking forward to more conversations. Absolutely. And, yeah. Have a good New York weekend. Thank you, you too. (laughs) Thanks.